0: Tate, uh, of this long running radio show. Uh, I'm also an author, speaker, social justice activist. And uh, you can find out more about me at my website, uh, KarenTate.com. Uh, just a quick shout out to Celia. Uh, she's one of the artists whose music we use on the show. And uh, that cut you heard a little bit of uh, is called Meta Prayer. And I'm happy to say uh, I think we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, the topic is Myths Shattered and Restored, a kind of a pet subject of mine. Uh, some of you... <clears throat> may know or remember that I gave a talk at the Council for the Parliament of World Religions uh, last time uh, they were in uh, Utah, and I gave a talk on uh, how important it is that uh, we reinterpret and rewrite our myths and uh, how myths actually shape our culture. Uh, so I was really happy to find out about this, myth- myth, uh, this anthology that had been put out, uh, which we're going to be uh, talking about uh, tonight. Uh, I have with me um, Dr. Gayatri Devi. Uh, she's an Associate Professor of English uh, in Women and Gender Studies at Lock Haven University in Pennsylvania. Uh, she sits on the executive board of uh, the association for the study of women and mythology she co-edited myths uh, myth shattered and restored uh, for the association for the study uh, of women and mythology uh, so we're going to talk about uh, the association tonight and we're also going to talk about uh, uh, about the anthology and you know i can't say enough good about anthologies uh and maybe uh Gayatri will have her own thoughts on this I'll ask her when we uh actually begin our chat in a you know minute or two here uh but um you know sometimes it's hard to get an anthology published uh i know (laughs) my first three (laughs) books were my own um and my last three books were anthologies and it's hard to find a publisher who will do an anthology and in my mind it's a little bit crazy because you don't just have one person promoting the book i mean ideally you have as many people uh, you know, as, as have essays in the anthology talking about the book, promoting the book, and I think it's the perfect example of partnership, which in my mind is a value of the sacred feminine. That's why I uh, do anthologies. So anyway, let me welcome um uh Gayatri to the uh to the show. Um welcome Gayatri. Thank you so much uh for being with me tonight. Well, thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And in your thoughts on the idea of the anthology. Um do you have any idea what the thinking is of these publishers that they kind of um, or reluctant usually to the bigger publishers anyway to publish an anthology? Um, I, I think um, there are two types, I, I guess, of anthologies
1: that kind of come to mind, actually, three types of edited collections or anthologies that come to my mind uh, one is the uh, obviously since I'm uh, I teach at the university um, I'm, I'm immediately thinking of university presses which actually like uh, editions and anthologies and uh, uh, will work with you to do that um, and I think the difficulty is in reaching a lay audience through the trade publishers and uh, I think trade Publishers, particularly to have something in a paperback, is really a challenge. Which is, uh, you know, I mean that you might um, you you might be able to persuade uh, a hardcover, but then it it's very hard uh, to um, get it to a lot of audience or a lot of readers um, for that price. So to have right. a, a good selling anthology in paperback through a trade publisher is actually very difficult. But university presses by and large, they, they like, in my experience, they do like editions and anthologies, and especially with some of the new prints from Palgraves and Macmillan and all, they, they really like the anthology structure for some reason. And then okay. you know, the third group would be us, people like us who actually um, are very lucky to have you know certain dedicated avenues that would actually publish. Um, scholarship-like feminist mythology or goddess studies, which actually occupy a sort of a borderline of so many disciplines that it's very hard sometimes to uh, find, um, find an imaginative and daring publisher to take that kind of work on. But we were lucky to find, find a publisher who would
2: do that for us
0: well i'm i 'm sure glad you did and uh again let me uh say that the title of uh of the book is actually the title of our show tonight uh, myths shattered and restored um and you know and uh, this whole idea of um uh, well, you know what i 'm not going to put words in your mouth uh, why don't you why don 't you uh, for the sake of our listeners who uh, this might be the first time they're hearing about this idea uh, why don't you talk a little bit about how this book came to be, and what does that title actually mean and why is it important?
1: Um, well, actually, the book came into being um, I, I want to say sometime in two thousand and fourteen. Um, We actually have the Association for the Study of Women in Mythology. We actually have a biennial conference, and uh, every other year we have a symposium. And in 2014, our conference was in San Antonio, and our uh, keynote speaker was Jean Shinoda Bolin, um, who is a union analyst and um, was the author of... um, Gods in every every women, and a series of books that have addressed feminist spirituality and women's spirituality. So Jane was our keynote speaker, and at some point uh, during the conference, um, our president Sidriger had um, sort of thrown out this question to all the women um, and a few men who had assembled there. So what's the next step? Um, for the organization what, what do we where do we go from here? Um, we had had two days of um, extremely um, Intense and fascinating and interesting series of presentations and discussions and workshops and panels and um and uh art presentations and and so on it was it was it was an absolutely lovely uh, wonderful um, energy in the place and actually it was Jean who suggested and Jean said this very quietly from the audience Jean said well you obviously now have to publish the proceedings of this conference because it's it was such a such a wonderful conference. And so um so we on the board kind of took that as our our directive or as our mission to uh sort of take Jean at her word and um to see if we could um, bring all of the um all of the women who had presented there and um start Start this process of putting this this um, issue together. At first, we thought we would sort of do like a standard, uh, you know, a standard proceedings kind of thing, and we still call it the proceedings. But um, uh, but it's it, it's it it's much more than that. It is it it's actually a, a scholarly um, kind of a, a compendium at this point. Um, it's uh, we we went through a, almost like a year year-long process of collecting manuscripts and and, uh, soliciting manuscripts, collecting them, um, reading them, reviewing them, editing them, copy editing them. Um, We went through an extensive um, textual process that has actually created a a lovely volume out of this including line drawings and uh, the things that we really wanted to include from, from some of the authors so um uh so yeah so it it's a uh, uh it was the genesis was with gene and then from gene we sort of took it on upon ourselves to um to to work with this and right. um yeah so it was it was actually um a wonderful um uh, sort of a uh, direction for us. And now, you know, we, we do plan to continue uh, what we are doing um, with other conferences and other manuscripts that have sort of um, uh, come to us um, since 2014. But it's very hard. You had earlier asked about uh, the idea of an anthology or an edition like this. Um, we, like I said, because feminist anthology occupies such a um, oh, and uh, interestingly or coincidentally enough our our theme when we were in in San Antonio was borderlands. that was our conference theme and um and in in many ways, that is us. The work that we do um, occupies the borders of so many different disciplines that yeah. we actually had to have a, a dedicated publisher who who was a fellow traveler and who really understood what we were doing and right. uh, would step in and work with us? So we' were very lucky to, to bring this volume out in, in a couple of years.
0: Well, um, you know, I think it's fantastic because you know for folks who maybe can't make your conference, for instance, they then with the through the anthology, they can avail themselves of the wonderful presentations. Uh, that yes. were actually at the conference. I mean, I I think it's yes. fantastic. Um, yes. And uh, and I'm and it sounds like you're going to keep doing it. Um, well, what about yeah, past past conferences? Is it, it's probably too big of an uh, undertaking to go backwards? I would imagine and uh, get some of those bound uh, those essays in a in a compendium.
1: Yeah, we, we we have actually um like for the, this uh myths shattered and restored for instance we we do have um essays in there that actually came from some of the past conferences so we wanted to organize them according to themes and not necessarily sort of um contemporaneously or, or in a chronological kind of a time so we did um we did send out an open call we we had some invited manuscripts and we also send out an open call uh for folks to uh, our presenters to send their manuscripts to us from previous presentations but the the beautiful thing about uh the anthology was that um they all came out of the conference and and that is an important point to remember because um, our conference presentations are your standard 20-minute uh, presentations, so they are most of most of us usually use end up using a PowerPoint, and we might put up topics up there, and and we might talk about them extemporaneously. So um, those are usually done in a 20-minute format. So, mm-hmm. what these our presenters and our authors did was to take these twenty minute presentations and turn them you know and and actually transform them into these beautiful twelve fifteen eighteen page wonderful mm-hmm. essays that you know that actually now documents and archives. All the things that you know we not really the things that they presented, but the things that actually came out after the uh, during the question and answer session I mean it actually went through a, a kind of a real coming into form at, at the discussion actually sort of came into form at the conference, and then we were able to go back and work on our manuscripts and actually create. Uh, actually, write these articles from scratch in in some cases, to, so that they would be part of this proceedings. So oh, I, am, I
0: understand. It is. It. Yeah. Well, it sounds, it sounds really rich, especially having the Q&A and everything in there. I mean, wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, what, yeah. What more could you uh, want except, you know, maybe to have videotaped it, you know? Right. Um, right. It, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I think that's incredible. Um, so why don't you tell me about some of the topics that are covered in the book? and oh, oh wait but wait before you do that we um uh, let, let's uh go back to one of the original opening questions was the significance of the title myths shattered and restored and then restored, we'll jump yes. into some of the topics okay
1: yeah well um what we we sort of wanted to um well we, the way we looked at it is um you know i mean one way to look at our lives is that we are all living you know i mean it it you can sort of ask yourself whose myth are you living? Are you living you know somebody else's myth or your own myth i mean it is uh uh it it is perhaps um it is perhaps convenient to forget that um you know we we all get co-opted into narratives that Um, we are willing to perform for or perform with and narratives that we don't feel comfortable performing in. So in some ways, um, myth shattered and restored actually refers to this process of a, a conscious choice of the types of myths that we want to preserve. For ourselves, and when I use the collective pronoun "we," I am um, consciously using it for women and um, all the work that the association does and much of the work that is done in this book is really about um, how certain types of mythical narratives have or, or stories and and I'm using the word myth in the sense of you know um uh, you can look at the world as a big chaos or a void or you can see the world as as having myth as having stories which is the opposite of void and um, and, and it's, it you you get to choose what stories you want to be part of you get to choose your lineage you get to choose um, you, you get to choose who, who your your fellow human beings are or, or what community you belong to.
3: And mm-hmm.
1: w- what are the important stories that you tell yourselves? Myths to me are important stories you tell yourselves. So there's always the, the other side. There's always the side where uh, the stories that, um, you know, the uh, who is telling the story? Who is benefiting by telling the story? So there have always mm-hmm. been... Uh, storytellers who have benefited from telling certain kinds of stories about women and uh, that's not us Um, so we are telling uh, this collection is um, in many ways we are um, taking a look at some of these existing myths about uh, about women, about feminine power, about feminine spirituality, about um, feminine culture, about God's uh-huh. culture, uh, all of those things. We are looking at these things and seeing them defined from the inside and seeing them defined from the outside. And And obviously, we are abiding on the side of women telling our own stories. So uh that is the the, the two words shattered and restored refer to um who is telling the story and who is benefiting by it. And we in this anthology is uh is actually telling our own stories. We are not we are not uh, waiting for anybody else to tell our stories. We are actually telling them ourselves in the myths about, about uh, femininity or, or feminine power or, or the goddess scholarship or female spirituality right. or any of those things.
0: Well, and, and I, I think know that, that, that makes it, sense. It, yeah no, it does and and I mean, and I would yeah. just add to that. Um, I think it might have been Joseph Campbell. I could be wrong about it i 'm um, a Joseph Campbell associate, and I think mm-hmm. it might have been him that said one person 's myth is another person 's religion, and vice versa. Um, yeah. And so, and, and some people might say, "Well, why are myths important?" And you think about—I I mean, two things come to mind immediately to me. The first one is mm-hmm. the power of the Garden of Eden myth. Um, look at the incredible influence that has had for thousands of years and still mm-hmm. uh, impacts women today. I mean, Merlin Absolutely. Stone said she believed it was one of the first pieces of political propaganda. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, when you think about it, it that makes totally sense. Uh, total sense. Yes. Or look, at, now that's old. But look at yes. um, a new narrative. I, the, and right. when I think yeah. about a new narrative, I think about the people who have started a whole new myth about Mary Magdalene. Because I'm yes. a cat. Yes. I, I grew up a Catholic. So you know, yeah. I grew up with this idea of you know she's the repentant prostitute. But you know, yeah. I don't know many people today that even refer. to her that way. They think of her as the uh, the wife of Jesus, uh, who yes. maybe, yeah. you know, bore him a child. She's the yeah. sacred feminine, and he's the divine masculine. They're like the power couple, you know? Right. And so you, right. you see how the story can change, and by right. changing the story, um, it changes so many other things. It changes right. uh, not just the story itself, but it changes uh, you know uh, how women see themselves. Uh, it changes yes. Christianity. Um yes. So this is important stuff we're talking about. It's not just idle, um, you know, uh, idle writing of bored writers. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think what you're saying is very important. And um, even from the perspective of scholarship, because. Um, you know, it it is um it is somewhat risky for um scholars or, or academic writers in any case to um to even claim a, a a personal stake, let alone an emotional stake, but a personal stake, um, to somehow you know um, allow themselves to um, invest in a personal way uh, in in the in the work that they are researching or or there is this sort of enlightenment model which says that you, you know there's a, the mind that is observing is is far superior than the the entity that is being observed um so there 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 is that um so it's kind of risky to do what uh, perhaps uh feminist um, spirituality does or or even scholars who deal with women's spirituality and and a kind of feminist uh, hermeneutics or or uh, something along those lines would do the the the, I, the affirmation of the the i the affirmation of the scholar as being part of the research and 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 feeling good about that participatory um, kind of a relationship with the story that you're studying or uh, to honor the story that you're studying in in a in a personal way so Some of what you said about the new research uh, with the Magdalene stories are, you know, some of those stories have that relationship to the people who are telling those stories because it's a a research that honors the the Magdalene uh, figure, uh, which is presented in a very, very different light in, in conservative biblical texts. So, yeah. um, so, and, and, and it is a, it's, I, for me as, as a practicing academician and who write the academic sorts of things, I, I actually see, uh, you know, the, this, this mode of research that has come out of um, research and scholarship in feminist spirituality and goddess scholarship as actually quite, uh, you know, quite, um, uh, quite transformative. I mean, it free the the author it frees the researcher to actually uh, admit to the influence of some of these myths and stories and the transformative power they have over you so um, so and and well, I think that is
0: yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, well, I was going to say, and I think if, if you're an academic and you have to yeah. live in academia, your hands are more tied than, say, somebody right. like right. me. Um, and I yeah. can take more creative license, you know. And, right. and right. Um, for instance, I think about the, the Sekhmet story, for instance. Um, I know right. feminist scholars who want to stay on good terms in academia, and they will only look at the that 's the Sekhmet myth that has been um, handed down, which basically makes Sekhmet a mercenary of her father, you know you could kind of yeah. sum it up like that, but reconstructionists like me um and other women who feel like uh, you know that 's not that 's the patriarchal. Uh, view of Sekhmet probably, um, have given right. her a whole new story. You know, we've
1: Absolutely.
0: um or I think about Charlene Spretnak for instance. She um I believe she's the one who wrote the pre patriarchal myth of Demeter and Persephone and Hades right. isn't right. even in the story. Um yes. and I think there've there've been various versions of Demeter and Persephone um yes. you know the one without Hades the one where it was a love story between Persephone and Hades the one where it was abduction and rape comes later yes we think maybe yes. under patriarchy so the point i'm trying to bring up i think for listeners is um don't feel you have to you know uh, I mean, these people who wrote these original myths, whether we're talking about the stories in the Bible, um, you know, listeners out there, they can be as divinely inspired to rewrite a myth or reinterpret a myth or create a new myth out of whole cloth. And they can, who's to say they aren't just as divinely inspired as the mm-hmm. quote, um you know uh, authorities you know or the self you know the people who uh we we look at now as authorities who wrote those original stories you know um yes, yes. and i think that's important to give ourselves that permission
1: yes yeah and and i i think um and i think you know our work um really encourages um encourages researchers and scholars to to um you know to to somehow integrate both the kind of um objective material empirical uh, kinds of artifacts and um and uh, and and the metaphorical and the symbolic and the humanistic and um where perhaps you know you can involve rituals or 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 dreaming or or keep a dream journal or the hybrid scholarship and the hybrid narrative where the um where the scholar is part of the the study is 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 something that you know that that is a model that that we encourage and we support and i think um it it, it eventually it has the power to really transform our idea of scholarship in many ways. And all the essays in this book actually have that voice. I mean, these are not just disembodied cataloging of temples in Malta or, um, you know, just talking about cataloging what happens at an, uh, you know, at, at an Ellicenian mystery. I mean, it's not, uh, it, it, these are beautifully interpreted pieces and the interpretation mm-hmm. comes from a lot of personal stake in it. I yeah. Mean, it's not just a dry academic is, you know, text with,
0: right, uh, yeah, with, with just facts, absolutely, you know. Yes. Right. It's, it's, I get yes, that. It's, uh,
1: the, well we when we work in this field it's it's really you know it it's it's sort of like it's 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 soul work it is you you it's hard it's a work of belief, and it is a work of affirmation, and it is a work of honoring the the subjects that we study. And I think that Absolutely. is a very, you know, it's a it's a personally transformative experience to to work with scholars who do this. And uh, a small example that I would give you is one of my my greatest privileges in life was to have known um, well all, all of the women that I work with, but in particular, I I was greatly privileged to uh, to know for a very brief time two incredible scholars and two incredible artists uh, Lydia Rule uh, who makes the Oh Bob yeah Sander. Lydia yeah, so, I know her well yeah, yeah yeah so lydia passed away a couple of years yeah. ago but i've had uh, you know the the great 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 fortune of um uh, of having worked with lydia and uh, through through um as well. and and also patricia monahan who who mm-hmm. was one of our founding mothers and uh, you know i mean y- you talked about the the story of mary magdalene you you talked about the the myth of the garden of eden um if you read uh, mary um, uh, uh, the, the poems the final poems that uh, Patricia wrote um, which is actually called, which is a collection of poems that she wrote about the life of Mary, mother of Jesus and Michael, her partner published it after patricia 's uh, passing and if you read uh, May, the collection of poems Uh, the Mary poems that Patricia wrote it's exactly what you were talking about it is this incredible going deeply into this historical and um, you know symbolic figure uh, of Mary and seeing these beautiful allegorical levels in in this, this woman's um, story that applies to you know any mother or any wife or or mm-hmm. any uh, any daughter and it is it's it's a it's a beautiful beautiful it's an imaginative work of you know great great beauty and depth so
0: well, and um, I and know, I think if, Mary uh, Mary the mother of Jesus is a great example of a of a character uh, and I use that word loosely you know character goddess uh, however you want to yes. refer to her. Um, you know, yeah. she, she, is an, she is kind of an untapped um, source that I think yeah. um, can be expanded on because I always think of her as, uh, you know, as a Catholic, you know, she was this benign, submissive uh, archetype that patriarchy would give women to embody, you know, no sexuality, all of that. But it, I would write her as one of the first social justice activists you know because yes. Jesus probably learned his uh you know his his values at her knee, and she suffered under the yoke of Roman oppression. I can see very easily where you could turn Mary into uh you know a social justice figure you know right um yes uh but Gayatri, let's take a quick uh a, a quick pause here uh okay. I have to uh you know, uh, Joe Carson, uh, let's hear from her for a moment, and uh, then okay. we will come back and talk about some of the topics that were actually in the book. OK? OK. All right.
3: yeah. Thanks.
2: tell you about Joe Carson's film Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. This is from Janina Renee, author of Playful Magic and By Candlelight. Dancing with Gaia is a magical, transformative film. Just watching it can alter your perception of the physical body and the energy field of the goddess Earth. Next time you are taking a walk or simply gazing across the landscape, you might find yourself affecting mystical fusion with the local earth forms or making deep contact with the spirits of place. If you want to engage deeper with the consciousness of the earth, there are a number of detailed but simple how-tos. What's more, seeing the exquisite works of these Gaia-inspired artists could energize you to start working on some of your own spiritually expressive projects. The DVD was shot in some of the most powerfully sacred sites in the Western world. It comes packaged with a 45-page color booklet, which goes even deeper into the ideas and techniques in the film. The package is just $20, and you can get it from DancingWithGaia.com. Okay.
0: Um, so uh, we're back now. Uh, I'm with uh, Gayatri Devi, and uh, we are talking about uh, the anthology Myth Shattered and Restored, and Devi co-edited uh, uh, the, the anthology by that title, and, uh, which is also the topic of tonight's uh, conversation. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump into what some of the topics that are covered in the book. Um, well, for um, I I I
1: would like to begin by recommending the um, the the very first our opening essay, which is by um, uh, by Marilyn Keller, um, who is at actually um, at the California Institute of Integral Studies. She's a professor of philosophy there, and Mara actually um, writes. Uh, 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 very uh, informatively and and very engagingly about uh in a compelling way about the whole uh, methodology of argumentology which um um, perhaps for somebody who is just starting to get interested in, in feminist mythology or goddess uh, religions or goddess mythology, um, is is a necessary kind of a step to understand how most of us do our research and and uh, um, and actually study these uh, these topics. So um, I, what Mara has done, um, her uh, her essay is called "Bridging Science and Religion." Emphasis and Spirituality, Archaeomythology as Academic Field and Methodology. Um, I highly recommend that essay because it really lays out the sort of groundbreaking work that Maria Gimbutas did and um, other scholars who sort of carried the archaeomythology um uh, as a as a method of inquiry, scholars like Joan Marler, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it's a beautiful explication, very engagingly written about um, about actually the the birth of uh, goddess scholarship and uh, particularly Gimbutas's work in the old European religions and uh, how um, how she sort of uh, in many ways unveiled. Uh, the idea of a great goddess or a or a mother goddess in in Europe and and how controversial those ideas were when it came out, and uh, and exactly how 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 does one marry a quantitative uh, empirical material uh, discipline like archaeology and a humanistic um, field like mythology? How do you marry those two things, and how do you right. actually? You know how do archaeometallurgists actually work? So it's a very beautifully and compellingly written chapter, and and I would uh, encourage our readers to perhaps start with that, and then let move on ask, to the let other. Let me ask
0: you um, about Gimbutas, and this might be maybe a little far afield because this that wasn't your essay in particular, but you know you're uh, you know you're well versed in all of this stuff. Do you have an opinion if Maria Gimbutas will ever get her just due? At some point, I mean, or has there been any movement uh, to, um, you know, uh, make her work more credible, uh, or or is she still as unfortunately maligned, um, you know, in in academia uh, as as she used to be? Um, I
1: I I I think the tide has actually changed. I think, um, and it actually has a lot to do, really, with the feminist spirituality movement and, um, you know, sort of um, uh, scholars working in goddess scholarship um, I think all over the world really at this point. And um, all the changes that have actually happened in, if we are talking about North America, actually in the United States, um, since the seventies, uh, and the second wave of feminism, and um, the, in, in your home state of California, um, particularly with the C.I.I.S. in Pacifica and and various universities that actually study these things, I think uh, Gimbertus. There, there still might be the odd uh, patriarchal, uh, patrit, patristic scholar who might doubt um the you know her hypotheses or her methods or or anything uh, but by and large the uh, the most beautiful aspects of Gimbutas' work the sort of the system of correspondences that she um so beautifully and elegantly um explained uh, how an x shape here connects to an x shape there or how a v here connects to a v there or how an x here connects to an x there you know she was a real she was trained in in the hard science of archaeology and she was a prodigious linguist and she had all the um all the credentials that Uh, a patristic culture might expect from her. But, you know, she also had a beautiful mind and a very imaginative mind and perhaps a very evolved and peaceful mind. And she was able to see these correspondences and see the unifying sort of figure underneath these sort of superficial divisiveness of cultures and and Mm -hmm. peoples into these different groups. So, and I think... Our scholarship, what ASWAM does, uh, what a lot of work that other goddess scholars all around the world are doing, I think all, all of those things are honoring the work that Gimbutas actually started. You know, I mean, great yeah. visual artists like Max Dashu or Christina Biagi, I mean, they're all, they're all women who are doing fantastic work that more or less... Um, you know, I mean, Max Dash's her Story Archives is a living testament to uh, to Gimbutas in many ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is it is transformative to sit through one of uh, Max's uh, shows and actually mm-hmm. see the thousands of images of of the goddess she has recovered, or the or the or the worshipped and the divine feminine that she has recovered from pretty much all over the world. So yeah. I think, um, and again, it goes back to, you know, it goes back to who is doing the honoring. And I think it's time that we honored ourselves for honoring our foremothers. And uh, and just is our foremother. And, you know, yeah. we, we don't always have to have the blessings of, you know, somebody who doesn't actually believe in the work that we do. So, right. so I I I feel very um I feel very confident that organizations like the ASWAM and other goddess scholars are actually uh, you know we we are the people who are who are preserving the legacy of uh, you know early founding figures like Kimbutas in many ways.
0: Yeah, when when I think of Gymbudis, you know, the words that come to mind for me are uh, courageous and far-sighted. You know, she brought yes. so much more to the table than yes. uh, I, than I think so many other people who um, yes. were cowardly, you know, or maybe yes. just yes. patriarchal, and um, you know, they they just uh, were afraid to connect the dots yes absolutely
1: um, absolutely yeah. and and maybe this is a good um place to actually um uh, plug in another um you know great great essay in our uh, collection which is actually um, by joan sashon um that uh, that you know joan uh has written this beautiful i mean joan's essay is this beautiful discussion of um, some of the goddess uh, temples and goddess figures in uh, the Neolithic times in Malta, and uh, you know, and and she talks about exactly what you said. I mean, you know, you have these incredible temples in in Anatolia in uh, in in the Neolithic age, and we have um, scholars, we have archaeologists who are looking at these uh, these sites and. <coughs> Looking at these incredible evidence of of divinity and and sacred structures, and these are fine spots of great great um sacred significance, and they are looking at it and they are actually bending over backwards to deny that there is anything <laughs> sacred about this place and in fact oh, they yeah. are they are arguing you know they're they're sort of you know shadow boxing. And saying things like this is a this is a chieftain's burial site. This is Mm -hmm. this is the chieftain's. This this is a warrior's. This that whatever. And you know, and here comes Gimbutas with this beautiful explication and correspondences of symbols that she discovers all across old Europe and Anatolia and 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 essentially makes this wonderful case for how there was a, a goddess figure and there was a goddess who was worshipped in this area and, and Joan's essays uh, Jones' article in, in, included in our anthology is about that and, uh, you know, one specific application of archaeomythology and uh, in in identifying the goddess figures in these in Neolithic times. And um, so I highly encourage, you know, our readers to, um, to read that, to see, you know, with what urgency we have... Um, scholars of a certain bent trying to disprove and mm-hmm. even even if you see a, a something, in, even if a goddess figure were to, you know, blow up in front of their eyes, they would rather close their eyes and, and deny seeing <laughs> it rather than admit that, you know, oh, by the way, you know, that looks like a, goddess temple and that looks like somebody worshipped a woman here
0: so <laughs> two, two funny stories for you well one's yeah. a funny yeah. one um when i was in malta um i was yeah. there with a woman who uh was leading me around and knew the goddess story the goddess narrative okay but i, I yes. but i couldn't i couldn't help but here uh with yeah. some of the other uh tour guides were telling yeah uh, the the people that were with them, what these,
3: yeah. you know,
0: our beloved fat ladies were, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, for listeners, if you can get this visual in your head, you know, it's a, yes. it's a, a statue that's like from the waist down. It's a big, mm-hmm. full skirt and the tiny little ankles. Uh, so mm-hmm. obviously, women's ankles—I mean, uh, yes. or almost almost childlike ankles—and yes. this yeah. this this guy, this tour guide, was telling his folks that they were sumo wrestlers. <laughs> yes. And, yes.
1: I mean, uh, it,
0: it is. Yeah. It's absurd. And and this other. It is. This, it's
1: a disease. Uh, it's, it's 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 plainly absurd. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, and
0: this this other woman I know, she's a student at C.I.I.S. and uh, yes. she she said she was on the show once I believe, and I read her essay about some of the artifacts found there in Malta. And yes. to go going to what you were saying, I mean the denial is just so yes. incredible. I mean because these yes. statues would be found with red ochre dripping down their inner thighs. Yes. Yes, and they would yes. still want to deny that these yes. were, you know, female figures or goddesses or that there was yes. anything yes. special that, that, yes. that, you know, red opener signified, you know? Right. So yes, we yes. do have to tell our own stories because we yes. are not, you know, the stories are not being properly, you know, yes. uh, properly told. Um, yes, and it is.
1: Yeah. The, the degree of denial is just staggering. I mean, if you look closely, you sort of have to ask these folks, I mean, just exactly what are you afraid of? I mean, what are you going to lose by admitting that, you know, there's, you know, 14 different egg figures, uh, egg shapes that are distributed throughout a particular Particular area under the same sky could should could possibly be correspondences to something. I mean, just exactly what are you denying
0: here? So well, it, and also it, too don't funny. don't you think it it's about i mean are they are real and you see, I look at it like this and and this is you know just my opinion, but I look at a real scholar as someone who has an open mind, you know someone right. who who is dedicated to the truth, dedicated to accuracy as much as we can possibly discern, i mean because right. we can't be absolutists. Um, but but you have people who are just dedicated to perpetuating a propaganda or dedicated right. to keeping um uh, you know, they're like gatekeepers, you know. Yes. Uh you know, yes. t- trying to, to, you know, perpetuate this patriarchal story that yes. that just um leaves women totally out of the equation. I know they had trouble Absolute. with Ian Hotter over at Chateau Hayuk and uh in, in Turkey as well. Um yes. uh, and uh it it's it's just it's so unfortunate that you know they yes. can see something in front of them and wear blinders because, I don't know, maybe their tenure uh, depends yes. on it. I mean, I, I had Richard Wolff on my show. Yes. He's a socialist yes. economist, and he literally yes. said if a professor wanted to get tenure, they could yes. not talk about the benefits of any sort of economic system but capitalism. So his students right. didn't know about the benefits of socialism, for right. instance, yes. you know?
1: Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah. It is, uh, and, and I think... Um, i think what you said is is very important i think it's the you know the the sort of you know the the rigidity of certain positions and a refusal to to have an open mind i mean I mean, nothing could be more detrimental to scholarship than than you know these rigid positions about certain things, and uh, and an unwillingness or a reluctance to even listen to a new point of view. And in um, uh, the the Hayuk thing, I mean, Joan actually discusses that in in her essay as well, and uh, exactly the controversy around Ian Holder. So it, it's uh, you know the, these are. Um, these are th- this kind of work is very important for that reason because um what you know in some ways what this means is that um you know and and because i 'm a textual scholar and because i 'm my primary degrees are in English, I always tell my students whenever you read anything any kind of a text, you have to ask yourself who is telling this story and who is benefiting by telling this story? You must always ask this question and 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 that is true i mean you you sort of have to you have to ask yourself you know why can't certain people with certain types of research ever get published because you know sometimes research in those areas are controlled by certain rigid positions mm-hmm. so that is why that is why uh, the Goddess Inc, which actually published our um, our book, and you know, Women and Myth is one of their imprints, and they are uh, they are the people um, publishing our book. I mean, that's why it is so brave to publish an anthology like this, to give a, a forum and a voice to our our scholars, and to actually present their research to other people with similar interests who have done similar kinds of work. Because we all know we can perpetuate any kind of myth for as long as we want over, you know, incredible space and time. I mean, it's what human beings do. And at some point, you know, somebody actually has to come in and set the record straight, so to speak.
3: Right,
0: right. Well, I think about, um, you know, some of the female archaeologists who would discover... Things out in the yes. field, and because yes. it didn't fit in the t- you know in the accepted academic version of history, right. they would be ostracized. Right. You know, yes,
1: and it's Im- yeah. I mean, to to pointed out happened to Gim- yeah, it a- a- happened to Gimbutas. You know, I mean, she's most famous be a case of that, you know, and there are certain fields that are regarded as, quote unquote, sort of male fields, and perhaps we should even call it patristic in some ways. Um, so it, it's it's very important that work like this is actually acknowledged. And, and it, it's not always necessarily just, you know, the male, female, or the gender divide um, Ariane Matmanaza Bennett, who um, uh, has an essay in our volume, um, Ariane actually writes about um, you know the, the the indigenous people and their storytelling, and indigenous wisdom and power of place, and uh, that is the name of Ariane's essay. And Ariane um, uh, Ariane actually talks about uh, a different kind of Rigidity and a different kind of blindness that uh, perhaps the, the Western world or um, uh, perhaps you should use the term the colonizers have uh, towards the people that they colonized. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we look at, you know, our Native American storytellers? How do we look at you know, the, how do we actually understand the the wounding of the Native American community? I mean, how do we understand, um, you know, the their their relationship to place and, you know, the many. Uh, I mean, particularly, I mean, um, Arian makes this um, beautiful observation that you know, Indigenous people have a, a sort of a bond to the earth that. Uh, perhaps the European mind uh that has largely moved across borders and have largely become immigrants don 't really don 't really you know uh, sympathize with or empathize with to some extent mm-hmm. and um so it's a it 's a very beautiful essay which is not so much about the you know the fault lines of gender uh but it's really about you know two forms of epistemology two forms of actually Uh, Knowledge and two forms of existing on Earth and relating with the nature and the environment around us, and um, and you know I mean it's again it's a different kind of a conflict and um, it's only through the kind of work that we do that you know these voices can be heard um, outside and hopefully you know, people will read our books and and actually understand the ideas that we are, or the thoughts that we are putting out, you know, forward.
0: Well, you know, as a professor of English, you'll probably appreciate this, but you just, you know, you reminded me of something. Um, I was given a talk recently about um, the idea of, Uh, goddess spirituality feminine values is more about being in the being mode rather in the having mode Um, and one of the examples i gave was this idea of linguistic imperialism Um, and i cited this woman who wrote this wonderful article about indigenous people um, yeah, you know how their language was different from, say, the Pilgrims who
1: came mm. to the United
0: States. And the yes. Pilgrims, um, you know, they had the pronouns he, she, and it. And if yeah. you were, if if something was an it, well, it didn't have any value. Well, the mm. it could be a five hundred year old tree. It could be a river. Mm. It could be, exactly. you know, this uh, something of in- immense beauty and importance. But if it yes. was an it it was yes. something that could be uh devalued it could become a commodity yes. where the
3: indi-
0: and then the the indigenous people they didn't they you know their language wasn't that way you know it right. was you know the, right. the the beautiful bird wasn't an it it was a beautiful right. bird that sang this beautiful song so it Absolutely. had this intrinsic value attached so yes. it wasn't yes. Something that could be discarded or devalued yes. or become a commodity. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah. So if you see a, a Native American artifact with, with a warrior, with a, a hawk or a falcon flying over his head, there is a meaning to that. And you know, it's not just a bird that you can shoot and kill. That you know, mm-hmm. that bird has an allegorical significance. That bird actually is a bird, and it's always more than a bird. Uh, a mountain is a mountain, but it's more than a mountain. A tree is a tree, but it's more than a tree. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, the, this ability for these older cultures to exist on a both on a on one on more than one level. That we've you know as we have progressed um we've lost that ability we've lost our um and arian talks about this metaphoric mind or the nature mind in in her essay she she talks very compellingly about that and very eloquently about that, and I'm badly paraphrasing it but um but we've actually lost that for us you know your your point about language is so beautiful. Because for us, now, what what is the use of language? Lang- we think of language in terms of literacy. We just want people to be literate so they can go out and get a job and, and earn mm-hmm. money and then buy the house or whatever. These mm-hmm. older cultures actually use language for storytelling. And they had different languages with different codes for different types of stories, depending on who they were telling the story to. So the primacy of of language in these older cultures and the forms of knowledge that those stories actually contained and could transmit to the listeners, that is a scale that, you know, we would be embarrassed to even confront because we would not know where to begin. I mean, we would probably just listen to it and think, hmm, what did that person just say? It's very enigmatic,
0: it's very cryptic, and I don't understand it
3: because it's not just an... yeah.
0: Well, you know, I it's it. You know, you're saying that, and I think to myself, if I have a conversation with you or somebody in the goddess community, we talk a whole different language, just like we've been talking about tonight. And and yeah. and I could not have the same conversation with somebody I grew up with in New Orleans, you know, because because it, <laughs> it, it it would just be it like what you just said. It would it would they could not relate. Um we're, I, I guess right. we're we're all living in our own bubbles aren't we? <laughs> yes,
3: yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that there is a universal correspondence that that can actually be teased out if we are just willing to look at it. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, we're but. we're starting to get a little bit short on time here, but I don't want to okay. let you go before you um uh let me ask you a couple quick questions about the anthology. Then I want to um if okay. you have a couple minutes to talk about uh, the ASWM. So, how many okay. essays are in the anthology? And maybe do you want to th- throw out a couple titles just so people get a sense of what else is in there? Yeah. We have 12 essays
1: and an an introduction. Um, We have Marybeth Moser's um, essay on the wild women of the Anguan, the waters uh, in Trentino in the Alps. Um, We have Alexandra Sechon's essay on Ariadne uh, at the myth of the Labyrinth, Um, and I already talked about Joan's essay and Ariane's essay and Mara's um, essay. Um, We have um, uh, an essay by Denise uh, Santano on Artemis uh, and a wonderful essay by April Heathslip on the Black Madonnas of Brazil, um with Natasha Redina uh and uh, Demeter and the Elysian Mysteries uh by Joan um and then Alexis uh, Fabourg I I believe you just mentioned her um she speaks about the Persephone myth um and then the uh the sisterhood uh deities uh the um, Germanic um, Norns, the uh, deities that come in, in groups of threes and fours by Don uh, Work McKean. And my aunt and I, Savitri uh, Dittore and I, we co-wrote, um, we wrote together an essay on uh, the goddess or um, Kali or Shakti, uh, whatever way um, we, mm-hmm. we we call the goddess in india um we wrote an essay um on we actually looked at a at a wonderful story by one of uh, a great writer from india mahashweta devi and she has an essay uh, she has a story called draupadi and we sort of um uh, we we looked at that story as a kind of a modern allegory of citizenship and the people who are sort of excluded from citizenship in in modern india and uh uh, ah Devi actually uses a character out of the Indian epic Mahabharata to sort of tell that story and yeah. um, so we worked on that essay so it's it's a sumptuous collection of yeah, lots of rich uh, stuff
0: south, yeah
1: south american native you know native american south american uh european uh, greek uh, indian so very diverse uh, feminist yeah, very diverse uh, feminist uh, Scholarship and goddess stories From literally different continents And different time periods So
0: um, yeah, Well yeah and you know you made me think about When you were talking about Kali And the Indian goddesses Talk about stories being, You know goddesses you know under patriarchy becoming a shadow of their former selves i mean yes, uh yeah. the how the how the indian goddesses have become so spousified or domesticated uh, right. from who they yes. who they once were you know uh, Yes, yeah or um hera for that matter you know she's just a yes petulant wife chasing after her philandering husband and you know that's that's all she is and uh you know in, in some of the greek myths she's been reduced to that you know
3: yes, uh, no, no yeah, wonder
0: people look at goddesses and go you know uh, you know in in and, and don't understand right, their yeah. relevance
1: yes absolutely and draupadi i i don't know um you know you're probably pressed for time but just in in connection with that point i mean the character of draupadi in mahabharata is uh, you know traditionally draupadi is one of the the you know pativratas in you know hindu's kind of um, uh, recite her name like a mantra amongst all the pativratas or the chaste women, and in what Mahashweta Devi does in her story is to, um, you know, make her into this tribal woman who is uh, raped by a representative of the Indian military, and. Um, and it it's an it's it's a frightening it is an incredible story um of of uh, of a goddess that actually comes out through this incredible trauma uh, of rape and and uh, the surfacing of the goddess in in the body of this woman uh, who has been violated by pretty much the government so it, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful story. It's a political story. It is a political story. It is a spiritual story. And, um, you know, it is, um, it is, it, it's just we are fortunate to have writers and artists who actually tell these kinds of stories, who reinterpreted some of these absolutely merciless stories and make us see the structures that are inside them and then retell them in a way that makes sense. Sense to women and honor women's bodies and women's minds and women's experiences
0: well, it sounds like a wonderful book uh and definitely a labor of love um you know i hope uh hope the word gets out and and you guys uh you know you you know sell a lot of copies. Um, Absolutely. It,
1: Could I quickly qu- say something about ASLAM? Do we have time? Yes, or? yes, yes.
0: I, 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 that's where I was going to go next. Uh, tell me about okay. um, the uh, Association for the Study of Women in Mythology. And I know you have a conference coming up soon. Um, yes, so, we do.
1: Uh, yeah, we. Well, our, our 2018 conference is going to be in Las Vegas in uh uh, at the Gold Coast Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, and it's going to be on March 16th and 17th. And we actually have a trip planned to the Temple of Sekhmet while we are there. Um, and uh, we, you know, we we have a, a tremendous program lined up. Our keynote is going to be um, with um, our keynote speaker is um, Elizabeth Whalen Barber, who wrote the Dancing Goddesses of of Europe, and who has done incredible work in Women's work and textiles and dance, um, and um, so we are, we are very very excited uh, for the conference. Um, our our website is actually uh, womenandmyths.org, uh, all of them uh, lowercase, all one word, womenandmyths.org, and um, the conference information is there. Um, we are close to California, not that far as I am in the Northeast in Pennsylvania. Um, so, if your readers would like to join us uh, in in Las Vegas, Nevada, we would love to have you. Uh, we are a non-profit organization. We were sort of became a formal organization in 2007, so this is our our 10th year, and. Um, and we are you know some of us are academics like me uh, some of us are artists like lydia uh, some of us are um independent scholars and researchers like um you know so many of our members uh, but we, we, you know, we all share the body with the goddess and the mind with the goddess, and uh, we we love the work that we do and we love each other. So. Um, and are are, so are hope- men
0: welcome at the conference, or is it a woman only thing? No, no,
1: men are welcome, and we do have have men join us. Uh, we have spouses, we have friends, we have you know people who support us uh, who attend our
0: conference. So we would welcome men to join us. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I've had such a delightful time talking to you tonight, Gayatri. Me too. Uh, thank you so, yeah, thank so you. much. Uh, thank you, and, you so much, know, Karen. It- well, it you know, it's my pleasure. Uh it it's it, it's always wonderful to have someone uh on the show of of your stature and your knowledge and so that we can have a rich conversation like this. So, uh oh, thank, thank you, you so for much. all your are doing and you know, for being on the show and uh you know, let's let's definitely keep in touch and and I wish Absolutely. you the best uh for for your conference. I'm still mulling around if maybe I can make it there uh since you're you relatively yeah. close. <laughs> yes
1: yeah okay thank you so much karen thanks for having me
0: oh good night and and thank you too for uh for a wonderful Mm -hmm. talk bye-bye thanks bye-bye uh so listeners uh please stay tuned um i have a word uh from laura perry and then uh i have a little story i want to read to you that uh is in keeping with tonight's topic so don't uh don't go uh anywhere if you would
3: The Minoans of Ancient Crete, an egalitarian society where women were honored, where the sacred feminine was revered, where peace and prosperity reigned for centuries. Hi, I'm Laura Perry, and I'd love to help bring the ancient Minoans to life for you. Explore Minoan spirituality with my books, Labyrinth and Horns and Ariadne's Thread. Embrace your creative side with the Minoan Coloring Book, and discover the wonders of divination with the Minoan Tarot. You'll find all these at Amazon and other good online and local bookstores. Find out more on my website, lauraperryauthor.com.
0: We're talking tonight about the importance of myth and how myths shape culture. So I wanted to tell you about this uh, little book that I got used. Uh, I think that's the only way you can get a copy of these anymore. Uh, I got it from Amazon. It's a collection of pre-Hellenic myths, pre-Hellenic myths, in other words, pre-patriarchal myths uh, by Charlene Spretnack, and the title is Lost Goddesses of Early Greece. And this kind of gives you an idea of what the pre-patriarchal stories might have been like uh, before patriarchy took hold and... um, Uh, you know, did all those things to the stories that don't serve women. So um, this short little uh, story uh, I want to read to you is The Myth of Pandora. And as I'm reading this, just think for a minute, if this had been the story we grew up with, Uh, about pandora instead of the woman who unleashed all the evils and ills onto the world what if this had been pandora's story okay here it goes earth mother had given the mortals life this puzzled them greatly they would stare curiously at one another then turn away to forage for food slowly they found that hunger has many forms One morning, the humans followed an unusually plump bear cub to a hillside covered with brush that hung heavy with red berries. They began to feast at once, hardly aware of the tremors beginning beneath their feet. As the quaking increased, a chasm gaped at the crest of the hill. From it arose Pandora and her earthen pithos. The mortals were paralyzed with fear, but the goddess drew them into her aura. I am Pandora, giver of all gifts. She lifted the lid from the large jar. From it she took a pomegranate, which became an apple, which became a lemon, which became a pear. I bring you flowering trees that bear fruit, gnarled trees hung with olives, and this, the grapevine, that will sustain you. She reached into the jar for a handful of seeds and sprinkled them over the hillside. I bring you plants for hunger and illness, for weaving and dyeing. Hidden beneath my surface, you will find minerals, ore, and clay of endless form. She took from the jar two flat stones. Attend with care my plainest gift. I bring you flint. Then Pandora turned the jaw on its side, inundating the hillside with her flowing grace. The mortals were bathed in the changing colors of her aura. I bring you wonder, curiosity, memory. I bring you wisdom. I bring you justice with mercy. I bring you caring and communal bonds. I bring you courage, strength, endurance. I bring you loving kindness for all beings. I bring you the seeds of peace. Imagine if that were the Pandora story we grew up with instead of the warped one that patriarchy has told everyone and we all learned. Well, um, I hope you've enjoyed tonight's show. I know I certainly did. And uh, I want to tell you that on the 14th, Uh, I will have uh, as my guest uh, Eric Dupree, and uh, the topic is um, on men, the goddess and healing masculinity. And then the following week, uh, Julia Stonehouse is with me, and uh, our topic is called the Misconception Files, which looks at contemporary gender politics, history and prehistory from the point of view of people's ideas about where babies come from. And she calls the subject the conception theory. Uh, This is a really good topic. Uh, I've had her on uh, several years ago and it's time to bring Julia Stonehouse back again for the Misconception Files. And then on the 29th of uh, November, uh, I will actually be your guest. Uh, because some of you were disheartened um, that you didn't get a chance to hear my talk that I gave recently um, on uh, the power of uh, goddess values to save the world. So I will be here, and I will share the long version of that paper uh, that I gave recently here in Southern California, so you will not miss it. Uh, Well, that about does it for me tonight, dear listeners. Uh, Thank you so very much for your listener loyalty and for tuning in. Uh, I hope you'll tell your friends about the show, and uh, please don't forget to hit the follow button so that you get word of uh, the show each week without uh, needing a reminder email from me because you may not be on my email list. And also, too, I would encourage you to please go to my website, KarenTate.com. Um, it would help me tremendously if uh, you could go there and make a donation to help me pay for the airtime here or uh, buy a couple of my books. Uh, that always helps. Uh, because you remember, you know, God has teaches us what we nurture, um, what we pay attention to, what we focus on. Well, it survives and thrives. Uh, And what we neglect, uh, well, that withers. Um, Okay, well, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And I hope you've enjoyed the show. And uh, you'll return next Wednesday and every Wednesday thereafter. Good night. Until next week. Bye-bye.